At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Welcome to Healthcare Americana, coming to you from the Freedom Doc Studios. I am your host, Christopher Habig, CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. This is a podcast for the 99% of people who get care in America. We talk to innovative clinicians, policymakers, patients, caregivers, executives, and advocates who are fed up with the status quo and have a desire to change it. We take you behind the scenes with people across America that are putting patients first and restoring trust in American healthcare. Today, we're presenting a little different angle upon that intro and actually talking more about the expatriate side of it, both to and from America. So please welcome Hunter Schultz, the author of the Expat Health Guide to our show. Hunter, welcome to Healthcare Americana. Chris, thank you for having me. Pleasure. One of the things that is central to a lot of what you talk about and what a lot of what you write about is this concept that as Americans and as we're talking about healthcare and all the lofty goals and all the things we want to change and just the crushing weight of it and just the, the, the minimization of so many people is that our country, the United States of America, does not focus on primary care. What do you mean by that? What does that mean to you? I didn't know about that until I arrived in Panama in 2004. And as I went to expat events, you'd have people from the UK, you have people from Canada and the US, and they would start arguing about healthcare. <laughs> Probably pretty colorful conversations, I'm sure. Yeah, there were like food fights and, you know, but yeah, it was. It was pretty heated because, you know, the Americans would say, well, I can get knee surgery tomorrow if I need it. What's wrong with your system? And, and, the, and the Canadians and the, Back then, it's changed since then, incidentally, newsflash. Back then, they were, they were like, we just, for them, they were mostly primary care. They would just go to the doctor. And then I met a, a friend of mine who's from Spain, and back in 1986, the Spanish Ministry of Health said, we're going to focus on primary care. And they started building primary care clinics in across Spain. Now, as of, I think, 20 years later, 2006, they had something over 13,000 primary care clinics. And so the, the, the Europeans and the rest of the developed world focus on it, and the, the, the Canadians and the, and, the, and the Brits and a few others, they were, they were saying, you know, I get great care. I don't wait for it. Basically, I just go to the doctor and I'm good. And, and we don't understand. There was a disconnect, and the disconnect was that most Americans look at healthcare as going to the specialist or urgent care or the hospital because that's the system, that's the way the system was designed and has evolved over many decades. And so it took me a while to figure that out. Uh, it wasn't until I started working with former White House physicians that I started understanding what great primary care is. And and that those lessons were, were really brought home to me. And I look back in those conversations and I go, yep, that's it. The, the Canadians were like, we love our health care. What are you talking about? <laughs> and it was it was primary care. I did the research. 
And there's a lot of research out there that says exactly that. The U.S. is the only one. Right. Well, you see this, and obviously, you know, we've had T-shirts that have been printed up to say insurance is not equal health care. But people think about U.S. health care as needing a health insurance plan to even access it. But even even in that industry, all those plans are becoming more and more affordable because they focus on that tiny little sliver of things that might happen to you. It seems like we did that in the U.S. Yes, you can go have knee surgery tomorrow, but what are the chances you're actually going to need that? And I'm a big advocate of those market economics that if you need to have it, go get it and be a smart shopper. But don't tailor everything and have everybody beholden to the centralized approach that is built around less than one of the one and a half, two percent chances of happening to any average American and on any day. So I think there's a lot of parallels in what we consider kind of sister industries with health insurance and with actual health care in that that does not really emphasize the relationships that it takes, the primary care really I hate to be a buzzwordy here, Hunter, but the preventative aspects of it, kind of the the oil checks to make sure that all your systems are are running well. None of it is prioritized at all. Is that what you're seeing from your experiences uh, abroad as well? What's evolving over over time, and now it's becoming more prevalent with other expats, is that their systems are failing too. The British, the, the vaunted National Health Service, they are, the docs are complaining they only have 10 and a half minutes for consults. And that was 2017. It's gotten worse. So over the past 20 or so years, medicine itself has changed. It's personalized, starting with genome. And now genomes are 300 bucks, take less than 24 hours. That's in the primary care space. Yeah, and, and, and I, I want to dive into some of those reasons why you know some of those other country systems are still having the same problems that we're having here, just kind of you know, their own making here. But it's funny that disparate solutions have all kind of funneled down and all very similarities. And what I see is is really how they define quality of care. Yeah, you talk to any DPC physician out there, and, and you know, as as an aside, Hunter, I know you're a big believer in the DPC model and what it can do for physicians and for doctors. But when I ask a DPC physician, "Hey, what does quality care mean to you?" Pretty much to a T, they say it depends how much time I get with them. Quality of care is how much time I actually get face to face talking to somebody else. You ask that for somebody from NHS or somebody from Medicare, you know, some administrator, they're going to throw a bunch of different checkboxes at you and a bunch of different percentages. And you're thinking, well, what in the world? This is a personal, it's very personal. My genome, my DNA is not the same as Hunter's. So what, why am I going to be subscribing to the same treatment theories here? So I think it's fascinating if you have found that time is kind of this common thread across the globe right now of why different attempts at centralized medicine is really failing. Absolutely. When, when people arrive here, no matter where they're from, they're finding that the doctors here have more time. And one of the central components to Latin America is that people here are very much into relationships. Family is a much bigger deal here than in the U.S. In the U.S., it's everyone's spread out all over. Here, it's not uncommon for kids to live with their parents until they're married. And, and grandma and grandpa are, are around instead of being shipped off to the old folks home. So the relationship aspect is in medicine. So when you, I know when I go to the doctor, uh, when I first got here, the first doctor appointment I had lasted 45 minutes. 
you know, I'm looking at my watch, going, "Are we, you know, are we done yet?" And oh, good. So it was—it's a real revelation when people get here, and it's—it's it's even worse now for a lot of people that come and they're shocked, and and we don't have direct primary care. We have basically a cash pay uh, system. There's several systems. There's there's a private care, but I'm talking about private care. You go in and your doctor will sit with you and how are things? What's going on? How's your life? You know, show me your food diary. Uh, huh? Food diary. <laughs> so you in, in the U.S. you have this this issue of primary care is just emasculated. There's no time. It's a gatekeeper. It's it's a triage. I, I mean that's yeah that's all it is. I know I, I've said this ad nauseum here, so I hope you know listeners aren't out there just kind of rolling their eyes and saying, "Well, I've heard, I've heard this before." But we use it as a gatekeeper system, and we have some of our most educated, most experienced people out there. People go there to the primary care because they say they think that's what needs to happen for them to go see a specialist. It's sad. It's not criminal, but it's sad. It really is up and down the system for everybody involved. Here's a couple of, of things that come to mind. Number one, when you talk to DPC patients and you ask them one question, would you willingly go back to the old system? No. Hell no. 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 They won't go back. Once they've had it, they won't go back. And there's something else that I found here. And I now, there have been, I've met many expats over the years. I met people uh, who left because of Clinton, left because of Bush, left because of Obama, left because of Trump, and there are a few here that left because of Biden. So it crosses the political spectrum. But what I find very fascinating is that when you, when you walk them through what DPC is and explaining what great care is first and then what direct primary care is all about, it doesn't matter what political party they're from. They go, yeah, why don't we do that? And the other thing I found is when I, as I've gotten to know DPC physicians, guess what? They're Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, Independents. And there's a, there's a big clue there. We have an awesome opportunity to bridge and just, just get rid of the political nonsense and just get down to great care. And the only thing that I found that enables that is direct primary care. I didn't see anything else. So let's go there, Hunter. Let, let's focus on that messaging because I, I agree with everything you said. Our experience in state legislatures and even at the federal level have been very similar. People say, wow, this is this is the great equalizer of all health access, right? That's always a big thing. Well, I, I need access. I need a health insurance plan so I can have access to a doctor. No, you don't. You don't need that. You need to actually know somebody and, and somebody, you know, a physician or a uh, somebody in your town who wants to, who wants to take care of you is empathetic. And those are pretty much everywhere. Nobody becomes a doctor because they don't care about other people. It's quite the opposite. But, you know, we say somebody could walk in from the street and be sitting in, you know, sitting, I'm not going to call it a waiting room because nobody waits for DPC. But, you know, you had the same access and same doctor as the CEO of a Fortune 500 company walking in there too. So it is very much leveling the playing field. There is a big messaging problem in the fact that the message is not getting to the masses. What's going on? Okay. The biggest issue I see right now, it's probably the most frustrating thing for me, is uh, you have a lot of people rowing in the right direction. And they're doctors, they're, they're benefits people, they're people like you, me, and we're all, we're all, we know where we need to go, right? And the biggest problem I see is there's not enough 
coordination of the messaging. And in today's world, we live with algorithms, whether we like it or not. So, okay, you got to play that game. And I think what we need is a centralized a messaging coordinator. Like this month, we're going to focus on time with the patient. Why is it important? Everyone talk about it. Everyone send out emails. Everyone focus on it between memes and videos. Focus on that message. And you can piggyback your DPC practice. You can piggyback your, your podcast. You can piggyback your benefits plan, whatever, using that message. And it's a pretty easy problem to solve. Just got to get everyone in the room and go, okay, let's organize it. That will help. Sounds like it's one of those PBS, the more you know, type of strategies out there in campaigns. Yes. I, I, I will challenge you a little bit. You know, I, I, Hunter, I don't think that's as easy as just waving a magic wand out there, right? Um, there's a lot of, even in such a small industry, there's a lot of people out there who think that their way is the best way and refuse to even look at what other people are doing. And I, I think there's a lot of infighting in a very small industry that is can be very, very powerful in really changing what we experience here as healthcare consumers in America. Yes, you, you have some wise observations. There are... There are factions, and like within any revolution, you're going to have people who disagree, but you get as many of them on the same page as you can. What can you agree on? Let's find out what we can agree on. We all know that if we don't go in this direction, meaning direct primary care, free market health, we're in a lot of trouble. And if we go in the opposite direction, Medicare for all, single payer, kiss healthcare goodbye, because you've lost privacy. It's gone. Yeah, the privacy is a huge, huge proportion of that. Hunter, I'm going to take a quick minute break here. We're going to hear back from one of our sponsors. And then I want to come back and I want to revisit that consumer messaging because I, I think that's one of the most powerful forces that, that can really drive this through. And smart people and their ideas are always going to be welcome here. So we're going to have a quick message from our sponsor, Freedom HealthWorks. If you are struggling to convert interested people into members of your direct care practice, you are not alone. The top challenge reported in direct care is patient sales. Whether you dread potential patient calls because sales makes you uncomfortable or because you're simply occupied with taking care of people, Freedom has a great solution for you. Enter the Freedom HealthWorks Enrollment Desk. This service includes a dedicated patient sales team for your practice across all U.S. time zones, live data and full prospect tracking from first contact through membership, don't let anybody ever slip through the cracks. Contact Freedom HealthWorks at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com and chat with a team member or schedule a demo. We got Hunter Schultz, author of Expat Health Guide, coming live from Panama. Hunter, we were just talking for the, the commercial break about messaging. And, you know, it's interesting because you were talking about a unified messaging, you know, across the industry. But before that, you were talking about how you have conversations with people who are new neighbors, essentially, from all over the world, and you're able to sit down and talk to them, see their experiences, then kind of talk about this concept of DPC that isn't quite down there, but we have it up here. How long do those conversations last? Because I'm curious to, because, you know, my team always says, man, if we had 20, 25 minutes with everybody in America, we could sign everybody up in a practice and they would see it and they would love it. Unfortunately, we don't have that kind of time. So what works? What kind of messaging works when people finally have that light bulb moment and say, aha, I get this. This makes sense. I want that. So conversations with people about healthcare. One of the first questions that I ask 
is how do you know you have great health care? And that usually stops them. With an American, I'll usually get, oh, I have a great health plan. I had a great health plan at work. <laughs> and they're usually asking me about what kind of health plans are here. And I'll back up a minute, a moment. When you buy a car, do you buy the insurance first or you buy the car? And they'll say, oh, I buy the car. How do you know you have a great car? Uh, well, I mean, it has ABS, I have an SUV, and it's got airbags, and they've got a whole laundry list of things. And I say, now ask me about my car. And they'll say, how do you know you have a great car? I have great car insurance. And they laugh, and, it, and, I, and I start to separate them. You have to separate them from, what are we talking about? Are we talking about coverage? Or are we talking about care? And then they're mentally set for a better conversation. So once I get them on care, then I'll ask them, how do you know you have great health care? And again, you get the insurance, but I'll say, no, remember I told you about care. And they go, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I, I, and I say, you don't have the benchmarks. And so I've spent a lot of time figuring out how to get them from point A to point B to point C. So I will go through and I'll say, look, when you're looking at health care, you're looking at primary care. Now I have to explain, what is care? And care is primary care, specialty care, and catastrophic care, extraordinary care, which happens very rarely in your lifetime. So the bulk of your care is primary care. So it makes sense that primary care be the focal point for all your care. And then I get into care continuity, uh, why it's important to have one person as a focal point for your care, just like the physician to the president. You need someone who's overlooking everything. And then it's access. Same day, next day appointments. Uh, down here, I've got WhatsApp. I can WhatsApp my doc. Got them on speed dial. So I go through it, and it only takes about 20, 30 minutes. But I have to prep them first by asking them some questions. Otherwise, their brain is, is hardwired, almost addicted to insurance. But, but I, oh, yeah, okay, care. And that's when I can say to them, look, I'll give you a couple examples. And I'll go through the example that Dr. Keith Smith uses at Surgery Center of Oklahoma about the guy who had to do prostate surgery. And he was in Atlanta. And his urologist told him it was going to be $40,000. And his primary care doc said, eh, give the surgery center of Oklahoma a call. And he did. He found out it's $3,600. And so he called the urologist back and said, hey, I'm going to go to Oklahoma. And the urologist said, let me call you back. <laughs> urologist talks to the CFO of the hospital, and the CFO goes, tell him we'll do it for $4,400 all in. He called Dr. Smith back and said, hey, you know what? You just saved me $36,000. Thank you. But you know, it's examples like that. And then also... I've got a good example I use, Dr. Ann Riggs, who's a DPC doc up in the Northeast. She had a patient that she gave a prescription to. It was $7,000. Patient came back and said, uh, doc, <laughs> this is $7,000. I can't afford this. Less, I think a day later, she had the same, same thing, 23 bucks. So I used some examples like that and, and to get them acclimated. And then I go into what direct primary care enables because of the business model. And it's generally about 20 to 30 minutes, but I've got to get people out of that. You've got to get them out of thinking of coverage as healthcare. So the questions are really important. 
it's always something I, I, I've always been curious about when anybody has you know, experience explaining the model and experience, explaining why there's no such thing as great insurance. I love that. Well, Chris, tell me what you do for a living. Well, here I am, you know, saying like, well, we, we run a, a direct primary care community of physicians that are insurance free and all membership based. Wow. Well, why do I want that? I have a great insurance plan. Okay, here we go. Right. So these are real conversations and I'm always, I'm always kind of laughing and, and, you know, I, I think I've been polite to everybody. I don't think I've really snapped on anybody saying like, wake up, come on, sure, smell the coffee. <laughs> so I, I like to tell people, I'm like, great. Are you going to call your insurance company when you're sick? Well, no. Well, who are you going to call? I'm going to call my doctor. When's the last time you saw him? Well, not in a while. When's the next time they can get you in there for an appointment? Uh, I don't know. A couple months. Why even? <laughs> you know, and, and it, it, you kind of get people chuckling, kind of like, kind of like you were sitting there and they kind of like sit there and think like, Huh. And I'm not asking anybody to admit that they've been wrong. God forbid that, right? Nobody nobody can do that in this world. But it's always interesting to see what different angles and different examples and how people react to that type of a message because it feels like people just default to the financial part of it. Well, I'm already paying for insurance. Why should I go out and, and join a doctor? And it's just like, okay, there's a couple of different things wrapped up in that, right? Just like you said, a couple of different strings. You got to just start there and just start yanking on. Yeah, and, and, and that's where I go back to, if I'm in front of a group, I can use a, a fun little example. Everyone has a sheet of paper, and I'll ask everyone, I want you to draw a picture of a car, you've got 30 seconds. And 30 seconds later, everyone's got a car, show your work. Okay, great. Now, turn the page over, I'm going to give you 90 seconds, draw a picture of healthcare, And it's all over the board. 90 seconds later, hold up your, some pages are blank, you know, they're not on the same page. And I say, this is what our healthcare conversations are about. And I use the car analogy. Car analogies are really good, by the way, because it gives people the, they, they understand the context behind the car. Oil changes, potholes, insurance, going to your mechanic with, a, with an, an issue, going taking to the dealership, uh, new tires, new brakes. Then I can say to them, hey, when was the last time you put an oil change on your insurance, your car insurance? I would never do that. Why? Well, my insurance rates would go up. What about a door ding? No, my, my insurance agent will tell me, no, 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 don't do that. Pay for it out of pocket because your rates will go up. Huh. We do that all the time with health care, with primary care. It's the first thing that comes out of insurance card. Why do you think health care is expensive? It isn't the cost, it's the charges. And then they kind of go, eh, eh, and that helps. You got to give them something to latch on to. Sure, sure. I like the car example. I like uh, you know homeowners insurance. Why is homeowners insurance so affordable when it's probably the largest expense you're ever going to have in your entire life? It's risk adjusted, right? Hunter, there, there was one other topic I wanted to focus on that we, we talked about a little bit was medical privacy, and I know this is a subject near and dear to your heart. And not many people do this when we talk about, again, centralized planning. There's a big push for Medicare for all. Obviously, we're saying, no, it's a bad idea. Let's go this route and actually let markets and individuals um, be in control of their own, own freedom over there, but their own destinies. But rarely do we talk about medical privacy. And in this day and age, data, data breaches and all kinds of funny stuff. And you know, not too long ago, the IRS said, uh, hey, we need everybody's information. And then there's a massive data breach. And so it's like, well, why, why would I you know, be secure in this one? But you have a great point about medical privacy and how that essentially goes away if there is a complete government takeover of healthcare. 
You're spending taxpayer dollars. How are you going to audit it? Well, they did such a good job on the PPP loans. Yeah. That was a joke for everybody they, not not they, on video, not watching the video of this one. But yes, that was a joke. Yeah, it's it's a uh, the problem right now is CMS is the way they audit uh, Medicare and Medicaid. They send a registered nurse in to the doctor's office. She she or he sits down at the computer and has access to the EHR system, and they don't have two EHR systems because those things are a pretty hefty sum of money. So they go in and they have access. And they'll look for reason for the visit <laughs> right there. Reason for the visit. You have to know why did they come to make sure the charges are right. Is the CPT code correct? Oh, okay, good. So the person was fill in the blank. Rape, abortion, adoption, mental illness, drug addiction, spring break on wild on Mars. <laughs> Things that you would tell your doctor that you wouldn't tell anyone else. And God forbid one of your family members found out on certain things. So here's this, here's this RN that's in there, has access, and you know all it takes is a thumb drive. Unless anyone think this hasn't happened. It happened in Singapore that has a vaunted healthcare system. And they had a million and a half people, including the prime minister, that was a data breach. Now they said it was prescription drug data. <laughs> um, it was more. I have a friend of mine over there who, who would know. And he said, no, it was more. A person with password access to the system grabbed 14,000, I think it was 800 HIV patients, took their records. 8,000 of those were foreigners. And not all of them, by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, not all of them, but if, at least a few anyway, were homosexuals which sex between men in Singapore is illegal at the time. I don't know if it's changed. So, I mean, there's some pretty dramatic repercussions. And what we have right now is essentially we're going lockstep towards the Medicare for all big database. And some techie guy is going to say, hey, you know what? We don't need the nurses going in anymore. They're all connected to the Internet. We'll just have AI go in and look at all that, snarf all of it up, do the analysis, and we'll have it in our big database. I give you the world's most hunted database. Oh, for sure. And I ran this, I ran this by a friend of mine who was at the NSA, and he, he, was, he was like, mm-hmm, yeah. In fact, this friend of mine who worked there reviewed the privacy section of my book and gave it two thumbs up because they're very worried there. They have a whole medical section uh, devoted towards healthcare because that is the mother load of personal identifiable information, PII. Well, there's, there's already insurance companies that have expressed breaches. I mean, two years ago, I think Anthem was hit. I mean, it's already happening. People are already targeting that. And I think you're exactly right. When they consolidates that and hooks everything up to the Internet and you've got some government employee out there saying, hey, I'm going to watch over this or, you know, maybe I forget to turn the lights off uh, at the end of the day and open up a door for somebody coming in here. It is terrifying. And it's real world too, which is like, okay, I don't I don't I need to put my tinfoil hat away because this is actually happening. This isn't just pipe dreams or what ifs out there. So Absolutely. Hunter, I, you know, big finale coming in here. Where do we go from here as a healthcare system? You know, and you have a unique position absorbing other uh, people's experiences, kind of like on the outside in. What does that perfect system look like in your mind? And I'm gonna ask you to be brief here because that can be a very long conversation, but what does that look like to you? Well, I go with an old saying my dad used to say, 
there's majesty and simplicity. So if my perfect healthcare system looks like DPC as the foundation for all care, combined with an unshackled health savings account, where you can pay for basically anything medical through your, your health savings account. And then I look at something similar to what we have here. We have true catastrophic policies here. And when I was 59, I got a quote for a $2,500 deductible healthcare policy, and it was $89 a month, because it didn't cover primary care. It was only if something bad happened. And I think the tweak would be to that, that you could have a menu of choices. You could cover a little more in case you needed it, but the deal I would strike, I think, is a, is a medical-like FEMA layer on top of insurance, where in exchange for the insurance companies could not turn anyone down. They would cap the risk for the, the really odd multi-million dollar patients, the rare disease patients. The government at that point can help offset that, like reinsurance. Now that might be done through the private sector, but I would find a way that enables everyone to have insurance, that you can't be turned down, you cap the risk, and the bulk of your care happens in primary care anyway. And over time, the health savings account accrues and grows and grows. And it also solves HIPAA. <laughs> HIPAA's portability, it's not privacy. That's the P in HIPAA. So if you own your health savings account, you own your health care. And you have to worry about navigating the health care system because your doctor has the time to be able to guide you and say, okay, this is what you need, boom, boom, boom. I would call it a better plan for all. Internally, I think of it as a Seinfeld plan. It's a plan about nothing. <laughs> because it's simple. It's just you, your doctor, you have some financial mechanisms, and you have a free market. Powerful forces? Very little government involvement. Very powerful yeah. invisible forces. Hunter Schultz, author of Expat Health Guide. Hunter, thanks for taking time and joining us here on the show. My pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me. That's going to do it for this episode of Healthcare Americana. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out online at healthcareamericana.com to catch previous episodes. Subscribe our mailing list and visit our online store. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Healthcare Americana is brought to you by Freedom HealthWorks and Freedom Doc. If you've been struggling to get the care you need and the access you want, it's time to join your local Freedom Doc. Visit freedomdoc.care to find the practice location nearest you. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. 
Hope you enjoy it.